best as we could have done, you know, in terms of fitness levels with the, the short space of time. I think we look good. We'll see how they settle now once we come back to Glasgow and um, get some, obviously, more football technical work into them. But this week's going to be important, but it'll be good because they've had a couple of games now and they're more sort of up to speed with the, the match side of things. Don't know what the temperature will be like in Sarajevo. You know, we'll have to do a lot of analysis now on the opposition, but we know it's going to be difficult, Jerry. We know the conditions may be difficult, the pitch may be difficult, referee may be difficult. We have to, you know, think about all those things and prepare for all those things, but we know how crucial the game is for us now. Hello and welcome to the Grand Old Podcast. We are back after extended summer break for podcast number 70. We're into the fourth season of the Grand Old Podcast and really do appreciate you for sticking with us. Hope you've had a wonderful summer, whether you've been away or just stayed in Scotland. Great stuff. The football's back. Grand Old Podcast is back. Hamish Carton, that's me, by the way, if you're a first-time listener. I am Mm. back. John McGinley's back. Yep, I sure am. There's no Paul Fisher, though, here. No, no Paul Fisher here, Hamish. What's going on here? I I mean, I, I'm not sure if I'm meant to disclose this. I heard he was actually with a Mr. Brian Lemond in Ibiza. <laughs> that was the, the last thing I heard, but I'm not sure if that's spot on. Um, no, Paul isn't with us today. He will return, hopefully, uh, in the not-too-distant future. We're just saying there, before the, uh, the mic shot into action there, John, we can't believe we're back already. Yeah, it's a strange one, because it feels like the... the season really just ended and in a way it did um, but the idea that Celtic are going to be playing competitive action you know tomorrow when people are listening to this is quite surreal and it's going to be a tough test so it's not like a glorified pre-season friendly or any of that nonsense and it honestly feels like Celtic haven't been away it's, it's quite bizarre on the horizon today we've got a wee bit of chat on the pre-season so far we'll just quickly briefly run over the the matches so far, but more particularly who's impressed us, um, a couple of players returning as well, just anything we've taken from that so far. Uh, we've then, both of us have each got a wee issue we wanted to raise uh, with each other, we'll have a chat about that, some interesting stuff to go there, and of course transfer stuff, uh, Cummings at Celtic Park, a few goings as well, I want to touch on that later, possibly um, some marquee players going as well, but we will touch on that, and then of course the Champions League Sarajevo chat. Right, let's get into it so far. I know you've seen a, a bit of the pre-season, John. What are your, your overall thoughts? We, we've played Pinkerfeld, we beat them 6-1. Uh, yeah. Foreign Muck, I think you'd, you'd, words you would use to describe them. Uh, we then played Viner, beat them 2-1 with a late goal from Bayo. Uh, and then we had that pretty dull 0-0 draw against St Gallen. The fringe team also played earlier on that day, thumped uh, St Gallen 21s 9-1. Yeah. What have, what have you made the pre-season so far? Um, well, it's just been fitness, really, isn't it? I, I always I've watched every single game to completion, and after every single one, I'm thinking, well, what was the point of doing that, really? Because I never tried to take too much out of preseason either way, either positive or negative. Um, I think that obviously the game against St. Gallen was was the most indicative of how we might play this coming Tuesday. I think that Neil Lennon fielded a team that night that was basically going to be a starting 11 for this match, I would assume. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that was slightly lacklustered and the team didn't look very hungry was cause for slight concern. 
but I, I, there's no reason to panic regarding you know the performances and such and it's um it's a funny one pre-season because I have liked the look of one or two players one or two players have stood out it's been a good chance to see some of the well the new science shred in action as well just briefly so it was good to see the team kind of what what they're up to in Austria I've enjoyed the the updates on training and all that a lot more than the actual matches I think the club media channel have done a good job of all that apart from embarrassing St Gallen's youth side on Twitter <laughs> yes um for me, pre-season, I think, like anyone else, um, it's just nice to have Celtic back, even in friendly matches and, you know, see the new signings and all that kind of stuff. Our best pre-season I can remember as a Celtic fan was the infamous Tony Mowbray season, so I think that probably <laughs> tells you everything about friendlies. I've always got this fear when Celtic play all their matches and win every single friendly before a competitive match so I was quite pleased that we didn't manage to beat St Gallen the other night and you know we're not going to have a 100% record because I always feel that when things are going too well in pre-season you're, you're you know you're ready for a wee bump and when it comes to the stuff that really matters mm-hmm. Mikey Johnson probably worth touching on um, yeah I've got the question down here who has impressed us and he's the obvious one he's the one for me that has sprung to my attention right from the start as well, um, right from that Pinkerfield game. I, I think he maybe only played the second half in that game, but I think he scored two, set up another one. He just looks really, really good. Um, it kind of stands out, I think, when you see a player like that who looks like he hasn't had a summer off. I mean, he, he hasn't really because Celtic players only get so such short a time, but, but he does look so quick, so strong in comparison to the other players at the moment. And I think... That is really promising for Celtic. I mean, we had a chat at the end of last season about, I think we grouped him and Ewan Henderson together as players who could potentially go out and loan this season. I don't know about you, but I certainly would not be sending Mikey Johnson out and loan now. I think he's got something to offer Neil Lennon's team right now. I think so. I mean, the the way I've been impressed with him in pre-season isn't even so much to do with what he's done. It's more just his attitude in the matches. I think he's looked like the player who wants to impress most, and I think that's always a good sign. I think regardless of opposition, you can always tell when a player's interested and eager to impress and ready to do, you know, what it takes to get into the manager's team. And obviously he ran the show against those Austrian amateurs, the Pinkfeld side, and he was he was really impressive that night and had the captain's armband and all that, and that was a very young, youthful academy side, especially in the second half of that match. So that was promising to see, and I think that he looks desperate to be playing for Celtic and I think that's a good thing to have in the side right now because I think when you're talking about Celtic and the challenges ahead this season, you might question the desire and the hunger for the team to go out and try and do a quadruple treble rather than a treble treble. There's always, you know, there's a, there's a urgency, I would say, within the support for the squad to be freshened up with new, new players coming in. And I think someone having the hunger of Johnston is part of that idea, part of that idea of having a fresh look to the squad. And he played 20-25 games last season, most of them from the bench, scored a few goals. And so if he can start, you know, 20-plus games next season, this season even, Jesus, um, mm. then it's, it can be only be a positive. And I would... I would prefer to keep him at the moment yeah we'll see how the summer plays out because these competitive fixtures are a different ball game to these friendlies so we'll see how he plays out over the next couple of months and then maybe a decision can be made 
a bit later on. Really good end to last season, didn't he? When you look at it, was probably only a couple of games, but the, the way he played in the trophy day against Hearts and, and the fact that Neil Lennon chose to start him a week later in, in the biggest game of our season, the Scottish Cup final, he didn't have a an immense game at Hamden, but I don't think he looked out of place at all. Um, and I think he's got a manager there that has proven in the past that he does like to to back his youngsters. I mean, you look at another winger, James Forrest, who got his break under Neil Lennon. So I think there are hopes here for Mikey Johnson this season. He's still very young. What is he, 20 years old? So he's still yeah. got a lot to give. There's a lot of left wingers at the club, though, at the there moment. Is, yeah. I mean, I, I could lift uh, Scott Sinclair, Johnny Hayes, Lewis Morgan... Um, Mikey Johnson were also rumoured to be in for the fella is it Hussein Balak from uh, St Colton that, yeah. who's a left winger so is there a worry that I mean, it's got to be a worry when you've got five players for one kind of specialised position like that well it seems to be and you know you wonder who the odd man out is you know you well, wonder Lewis whether Morgan's barely been seen has he Lewis Morgan's barely been seen the fact that Sinclair extended his contract or or we took up the option on his contract for another year doesn't say much, I don't think. I think there's the possibility no. of a team coming in for him. There's rumours that Aston Villa are interested in him. Um, or not Aston Villa. One of these daft Sheffield teams. United. Sheffield United, yeah. One of these daft nonsense teams. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's a chance he could go out. So it's just... that so It'll be about shuffling all around, isn't it? It'll be very interesting if we sign another one because... Is Johnson your number one right now? Right now he is, yeah. I mean, he's the, he's the guy I would start on... On Tuesday, so yeah, he is, and I think that Sinclair's looking fit and sharp, but there's real question marks about him in a Lennon team, and then there's Johnny Hayes as well. So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you even got Arzani coming back. He's not quite taken part in pre-season yet. I believe he's been at Manchester City just completing his rehab. So when he rejoins the first team squad as well, then there's just far too many for one that one position and. It's not as if loads of them can play on the right-hand side either, I don't think. So it's going to be interesting times uh, with regards to that one. Yes, one other big thing that's been taken from pre-season, it's probably made the majority of the headlines um, from a press point of view, uh, and you can see why, is Lee Griffith's return. He's played, I think, about two and a half games, something like that, and he scored six goals. Uh, and I know they're not against you know great opposition by any means, but you can't take away the fact that he is scoring and he doesn't look to have, have lost much confidence from the player that we saw previously because for me that, that was a big thing I saw him in the, the opening game against Pinkerveld and again you've got the caveat that it's they were an awful side um, who I don't think were even halfway to being as fit as Celtic were even at that stage of the season um, they were terrible but he did look like he still had the confidence I think he, he tried a free kick from uh, about 30 yards in the, the opening two minutes which for me showed that you know he's not lost any of this stuff that made him the player previously because when you go through something like what he's gone through which is obviously an incredibly damaging thing that goes beyond football I mean it's mental health your confidence is, is obviously going to take a knock and it's good to see him getting back out on the pitch and it's good to see that he still does look to be that player and he certainly doesn't look out of place at the moment yeah, and there were signs of that towards the end of the season as well when he was kind of he kind of reemerged on social media and you know there was a tweet going about with all his stats as Celtic and he quoted it and said I'm counting. So he still yeah. has that gallusness that makes him the striker he is. I agree with that what you say there. And I think that in pre season, I think the one thing I do look for sometimes is just the the finishing touch of strikers and the confidence that strikers can get from scoring goals against bad teams. 
And I think it's important to to have that, you know, ready to go with Lee Griffiths because I think that there is a standard of opposition arguments, but sometimes when the keeper, there's a goalkeeper, a goal and a striker, and it's all about where the striker places the places the ball, and sometimes it doesn't really matter what standard of team you're, you're facing. If your striker can ping it in the top corner, then, the, the, you know, you could be playing De Gea, you know? So... Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I was glad to see him get his finishing touch back and I think that bodes really well because I think we've been missing competition for Edward badly and it takes the pressure off him a bit and I would be excited to see what Griffiths is going to offer in these qualifiers. It's a shame about Bio, he scored a goal as well. It's a shame that he's kind of re-picked up an injury on his hamstring. So yeah. just need to wait and see how that one plays out. Yes, anything else to be taken from? I'm kind of scratching my head and wondering if there's anything else I would you know, look at these matches. Not from and, the matches and, themselves, no. Yeah. I think that it was beneficial that when they were in Austria, they had an absolute heat wave because I think some of these matches over the summer that we go, you know, depending on where we end up, um, could be roasting. I think it's going to be hot in Bosnia on Tuesday night. And so that would be a concern if, you know, we're just kind of thrown in from the, you know, cold summer in Scotland to a very, very warm, humid night in Bosnia would have been a problem. But they were training in... Um, reportedly close to 40 degrees at some stages so I thought that was beneficial and like I say I've just been enjoying all the updates from all the players and seems to be a good spirit about the squad and I'm pretty excited about the actual important stuff kicking off Now we're back as a podcast uh, Paul will join us next week although a lot of the Celtic players from last season won't be featuring in this year's podcast in terms of discussion because there has been a vast change in personnel over the past only really three, four weeks. Um, a number of players, probably about a dozen, have left the club. A lot of them pretty well known from last year as well. Some of them probably glad to see, the majority of them a bit kind of not too bothered to see go, um, and maybe a couple that we would like to have kept on. Now, I was doing my research earlier, and I actually didn't have to do too much research because Celtic posted a lovely <laughs> wee article, um, or a press release more this morning uh, at nine o'clock, um, basically just summing up pretty much all of the players who have left the club and, and wishing them the best. So I'll just run through them um, and okay. then I've got a bit of a point to make because I think it's pretty promising stuff. The most obvious one we'll probably touch on it, and the one that Celtic led uh, with in the press release was Doris de Vries, um, who has announced his retirement from football, signed for Celtic in 2016. Peace. Exactly, yeah. It's uh, tough to see a, a guy like that end his career at Celtic in, in such, you know, poor, um, <laughs> poor, such a poor way, but... <laughs> It is what it is, um, 38 years old, so he's had a good career, um, and yeah, Celtic was the end for him, so he, we knew he was leaving Celtic anyway, so there's no real shock in terms of that, but we do of course wish him all the best, uh, I believe he's gone off to the Netherlands to pursue some coaching badges, so all the best to the man DDV. <laughs> Elsewhere we've lost a lot of wing-backs, we've lost Emilio Ezeguiri, Christian Gamboa have both gone. Um, they're both playing in the, the Gold Cup this summer but or they, or they already have played in the Gold Cup They've both departed the club We also lost uh, fullback Jeremy Toljan Good, who was on loan Good. last season <laughs> uh, Never to be spoken about again Other first team players Mikael Lustig, another fullback, has left the club Is that um, good? At, uh, kind of We'll maybe come on to that in a wee second Because okay. it's a big story from the summer Philip Benkovic uh, and Oliver Burke And obviously Timothy Way at the end of last season Who went early Those are the other three lone players on top of Toljan Who have departed the club Not expecting any of them to come back uh, On top of that we've lost Scott Allen We knew he was going to Hibs at the end of the season That is another one that's just Good. finally over thankfully <laughs> uh, Yusuf Malumbu 
has Good. departed the club as well after a very short stint, uh, six months in total at Celtic. He spent the second half of last season at Kilmarnock. Talk about him going back to Rugby Park as well this coming season. Um, Dedrick Boyata, we already knew about him. Uh, I think a bit of a blow to lose that, but I think we already covered him at the end of last season, so we won't touch on that too much. And the final one, and this is quite an interesting one, because it actually... Okay. The player wasn't mentioned in the Celtic article at oh. all. Can you can you think of the obvious guy who's left who I haven't mentioned? Yeah, it's big Marv. It's big. He has left the building. Medal winning Marv. <laughs> now, why why do you think Celtic haven't mentioned him here? Because it clearly is deliberate. I mean, you you don't for you don't forget about him as much as he was forgettable. I don't think you do forget his name when you're listing all the players. Is this a statement that? He was quite difficult to deal with and, and the way he's taken a wage and we've probably had to pay him off quite significantly to move him on. I'm not sure. Did we announce that he'd left for Duisburg? Is that where he's often? Um, yeah, he's, I think he's Germany. been coaching and playing over there. So I'm not sure if because we already announced that recently, then they've just left him off because right. everyone knows or they've legitimately forgotten about him. <laughs> Um, which is certainly possible because most fans did as well and the manager seemed to forget all about him as well. So he could just be very elusive and just hides in corners and kind of blends in. And when he leaves, you don't know. As he's like, the, <laughs> there's always, you know, when you're on a night out with your pals, there's always someone who at some point in the night just leaves without saying goodbye. And that's yeah, basically who, what Marvin Comper is. You just go suddenly. You just go. Where? Where's he? And he's. You know. If you hear from him a week later when he's emerged. So I'm glad. There's usually a be... female involved as well. Yeah, perhaps. Um, thankfully, we won't be hearing from him again because it's one of the worst signings I've ever made. I made my case for that on the end of season awards podcast. If you go back and listen to that, he was my candidate and outstanding choice for the worst player of last season, simply because he was picking up a wage and did nothing. And so I'm delighted to see the back of medal, medal winning Marv. That's my new nickname for him. So <laughs> on the the serious point of the way all those players have left. I mean, if I just run through them again pretty quickly and how they left. Obviously, the the four loan players have moved on. Um, yeah. Lustig, if we touch on that, I believe he wanted a three year contract. The the club weren't <laughs> um, wanting to give him a three year contract. Probably understandably. I suppose in, in that regard you can't blame the club at all because they, they did come in for a bit of criticism from a lot of fans who you know wanted to keep Lustig on. I personally wanted to keep him on um, because I think he was a big presence. However, the fact that he wanted a three-year contract, not a chance in the world I would give Mikael Lustig, what is he, 32 years old, a three-year contract. Um, so I'm pretty kind of all right about him moving on. He seemed fuming with the club though. He seemed fuming with Lawwell. I think you'll remember he gave comments to the Swedish press and yeah. I'm not sure exactly what he said but he said something like you know the the players know what's going on the coaching staff know what's going on there's something maybe going on there maybe he was given assurances maybe the, he was given the option of you know a severe pay cut or something like that you never know I wish him all the best I prefer we maybe would have preferred to keep him on as backup for another year handing out a three year contract to him would have been insane and it's just one of those things. It's just not the right thing for the club or the player, so he's got to move on. And I thought it was funny the way the attitude changed towards him, the support, when there was kind of a period where Celtic were looking a little bit shambolic off the field, Lustig suddenly turned into a martyr, where it was like <laughs> all, all the fans who had been slagging him for the last 18 months suddenly seemed to think that he should be staying for 10 in a row. 
Um, there's there's none of that for me. There's no romance involved here. I think it was no no way he should have been a starter next season. And I think that will be proven when we bring in someone new um, who can bring a bit of energy to that side of the team because it's been severely lacking for a while now. Christian Gamboa is a Geary. You can probably put those two together. You know, they come from a similar part of the world. They both play, you know, full-back position and they both had similar impacts last season, which was very little. So you're happy enough to see them move on. Um, the other two, Scott Allen, Yusuf Malumbu, that, that's really good business from the club to, you know, move them on I know Alan's thing had already it was an end of contract type thing but the fact that they've you know come to an agreement with Malumbu who I think still had another year in his contract that's good it's clearly Neil Lennon wanted that and the club do deserve credit for moving these guys on because when we I think maybe it was February or March time uh, at the start of the year we looked back when I think when Brendan Rodgers was still in charge we looked over the squad we had and it was bloated um Bloated full of players who didn't offer very little. You know, we had our top players, probably a core of a dozen, probably. And then after that, it was a lot of players like Malumbu and, and other players who didn't offer anything, but were probably in all right wages. And now it just looks so much cleaner now and clearer. And I was pretty worried that players like Comper and Malumbu would still be here going into next season. So yeah. Neil Lennon clearly wanted rid of them, and I'm glad the, the club's done that as well. Um, just Jack Hendry to go now, I suppose. <laughs> just Jack Hendry. Malumbu was also uh, Chris Boyd's dressing room mole. I think that's common knowledge by now that he was the guy giving them information on jam and all that sort of nonsense last season about the unhappy dressing room and all that. So get rid of guys like that. He was never a good signing to begin with. Didn't offer much and get just get rid of him. I think that I, I wasn't actually surprised to see the back of him like you were because I thought this is the summer. Sometimes you can tell with Celtic they go into a certain mode where it's kind of like a clear the decks mode and it usually occurs with the change of a manager. So um, I was actually expecting us to do a lot of transfer business this summer. I've been quite relaxed about it really since the end of the season because I just think that there's a realisation that the squad needs a reboot before we push for 9 and 10 in a row, hopefully. So I'm not surprised to see the back of them. What kind of financial deal we've worked out with either of them? I'm sure we've had to give them some sort of money, but better better off get rid of them and give them a bit of money than keep them around and pay up the rest of their contracts. Yes, agreed. Anyone else just looking at the squad that you, you would like to see move on? Uh, I mean, um, Jack Hendry is a, an obvious one, but you could argue for for all his flaws that we probably don't have the cover at the moment to dispense with him. Um, there's probably, I mean, there's a few others, Abu Kouassi, would you like to see him move out on loan or, or move well, him on? I would like to see him just, you know, Lennon actually talked quite highly of him. He gave one of his interviews, one of the interviews he gave in Austria, noted that he was one of the standout players in training. He's coming back from a long-term injury, so possibly slightly unfair not to give him some sort of a chance at breaking into the team at least so we'll see how that one pays out, plays out towards the end of the summer I mean the guys that have all, we've already mentioned they were the ones you had to get rid of before the end of before you even start approaching August never mind the mm-hmm. end of it there's other guys in the squad that you maybe think towards the end of August we can maybe start moving them on like Lewis Morgan um, yeah. Abu Kouassi Jack would you get those. would you get rid of Morgan permanently? I don't know. I just if he's not going to make it, what's the point in keeping him around? My, my argument with Lewis Morgan is that fair enough. I, I don't think he had the greatest spell at Sunderland. I think he scored two goals. Um, I do think he could have something to offer in a couple of years. And and Ryan Chrissy, who's turned into our star man 
Uh, arguably at the, at the moment had I think three loan spells before he became a yeah, Celtic player. So but also, I, I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't mind moving Morgan on for a year on loan again to I don't know another English team or a Scottish team. I mean I'm pretty sure Lewis Morgan's the same age as Christie already though. He's not like he's a young player, I don't think. Let me yeah. just quickly look us up. He's twenty two, he's gonna be twenty three at the end of September. So like he's already in his early I'm not saying he's finished, I'm just saying that you know, I, I don't know if there's some kind of long term potential there where you would, you know, look at it. there's someone like the likes of Johnston who's never really had a taste of first team football. Morgan was playing senior level with St Mirren for um, a couple of seasons. He had kind of a half season with us under Rogers getting substitute appearances. Then he had the half season at Sunderland in a kind of similar role really. He never really got the football that you would have expected. And it's not as if Jack Ross would have treated him unfairly. I mean he's yeah. That was like the ideal loan move, really, because they enjoyed so much success in the championship with St Marin. So it's a difficult one because I just don't know if he's going to make it. And if he's not going to make it, you might as well move him on. Um, it's a strange one, that. It's a very strange one. And like I say, towards the end of August, that's when you start making those decisions on those players. They've got time, I think. And Lennon will make that determination, I think, similar to kind of last season where it was kind of Allen and Christie that Rodgers was given consideration to over the summer. And eventually Christie stayed and pushed on. So there's chance for these players on the cusp, not Jack Hendry because I think he's garbage, but there's a chance for yeah. some of the other players kind of on the cusp to maybe do something in summer over the qualifiers, in training, and then, you know, what what will be will be. But yeah. I'm very, very relaxed about recruitment this summer, very, very relaxed. I thought just one more interesting point, just to touch on very briefly, was just briefly talk about the absolute... Toys being thrown out the pram regarding Oliver Burke and mm. Neil Lennon. Oh, I thought you were t- going to see another Oliver there. <laughs> no, that will come into that in a minute. But Oliver Burke, the technical director of West Brom, had some kind of hissy fit and Neil Lennon for not playing Burke in the striker role or some kind of nonsense, cheating him unfairly. And it was just absolute nonsense. That's the kind of thing that has been so weird about Celtic over the last six weeks or so there's just seen this perception that the club are in some kind of crisis and it's these headlines where you know you're getting senior figures at other clubs slating your manager I think was out of order I don't think Oliver Burke was harshly treated at all by Rodgers by Celtic or by Lennon so I'm happy to see the back of him and hoping he doesn't darken our door ever again doesn't sound like he will be yeah <laughs> I mean, I found the uh, the comments. It was Luke Dowling was the name of the the West Brom technical director who made the comments. My argument to it was that, I mean, if they think Oliver Burke's so good and he should be treated so well, why don't West Brom play him this season? Because the guy offers nothing, and he offered very little other than a good start at Celtic. So I'll be interested to see if West Brom feel that he's, you know, should be treated well this season, or if they loan him out to another club. It's not like certainly can't see him making the the grade there. Like I'm pretty sure I counted and Lennon played him something like nine times or something. It wasn't like he was completely frozen out. If anything, I think I think he started. I could be wrong, but I think he started his first three matches uh, under right. Neil Lennon. And then well, I think it was go. that Aberdeen nil nil game we were at um, that he was really poor. I think he might have been taken off at half time in that game, and then he, he just wasn't really seen after that. But that's quite not, right though. I mean, if I mean, he's like, playing, sorry, what when Neil Lennon comes in, what are his aims? Or oh, number one, keep Oliver Burke happy. Number two, win the treble. <laughs> no. And we only had we only played like thirteen games. Or if he started the first three and he's not good enough for the rest, then you know what you're on about and also the fact that um, one of the good things that Lennon did for me when he came in 
was make sure he didn't over rely on those loan players. That if you, you remember, and I know we had a, we had any kind of arguments about where it was the end of last season, but mm-hmm. Rogers signed those players as a stopgap because he knew he was leaving at the end of the season. So for Lennon to come in and over rely on them and have them be key players in a treble winning team, and then for them all to disappear would have been incredibly bad business and foresight from the club. I mean, I think I made this point, but could you imagine going into the this qualifier on Tuesday if Burke Way and Benkovic had all been key members of that team and would missed all three? You'd be feeling very panicky about it all. Instead, we yeah. kind of half forged a, forged a partnership between Ayer and Sminovic. We got Eduard back playing fit, scoring goals, scoring very important goals. And we've got Johnston there as well, who wouldn't have had a chance either. So I think one of the best things Neil Lennon has done since he came into the club was ditch those lone players and focus on the players who are here for the challenges ahead. It's a very good point. Very good point. Well done, Neil Lennon. Um, very interesting to see how that one develops over the summer as well in terms of the Celtic squad changing because it is going to change further. I know we're going to look at a few more um, and I probably will, as we see, a, f- a few more go out maybe later on in the transfer window. But just looking at the squad and compared to when it was you know, three or four months ago, three, four weeks ago when we looked at it, the amount of players <laughs> yeah. who just offered nothing. Thankfully, they've been moved on and we now have, I know we've only made three signings so far, but added to that, you've got Shved, who's like a new signing. You've got Lee Griffiths, who's like <laughs> a new signing back. Um, you've got Nia Beaton, who's back in the team. Um, you've got uh, someone else whose name's just completely escaped me. Um, but the, there's a number, Arzani, sorry, Arzani's the other one who's going to mm-hmm. come back and hopefully be like a new signing. So, there's loads and loads to get excited about, um, but I just wanted to say well done to um, Celtic there. Now, it's been um, an interesting summer so far in terms of interest in a lot of our so-called star players. We've had Tom Rogic linked to a move to Russia. Um, Olivier Cham, of course, has been bumping his gums about wanting to go to France or wherever, probably anywhere. Uh, Kieran Tierney's also been the biggest story this summer from a Celtic point of view, has been, yeah. other than a, a certain 19-year-old Motherwell player. Um, David Turnbull who I don't want to talk about at all in this podcast oh yeah um, Jesus it's amazing how much has gone on isn't it but yeah. Kieran Tierney's Kieran Tierney's probably the biggest story of the summer Arsenal interested in him they've had a £15 million bid rejected already for him Celtic said to be wanting £25 million for him uh, Napoli also interested in Tierney interest in one just in terms of this summer as a whole is it's probably I know Dembele went last summer, but this is the the first real summer we've had a lot of interest in several of our star players because, you know, Callum McGregor's been talked yeah. about as well. Edward's been mentioned, possibly, um, mm-hmm. although nothing obviously concrete at all. It's uh, it's going to be a tough one to keep hold of as many star players as possible. I think it will be, and I think that there's an element sometimes. I think because we've heard so much nonsense about some of our players of the last few seasons... There's been reports every transfer window, I think, about Tierney leaving. I think that supporters sometimes are quick to dismiss the interest as nonsense and media fabrication and all that. But we've picked these ones out because they seem to be the most interesting and credible. Obviously, Neil Lennon confirmed there was a bid for Tierney. So cutting through the headlines, which I think have been... The arse has been kicked out of it a bit. I think the initial bid, going by Lennon's comments, there's been one bid from Arsenal. There's been reports of further bids, but Lennon refuted that and said that, to his knowledge, there hadn't been and that the valuation had not been met. So I'm not sure if there was some sort of formal offer and then there was informal discussions after that. 
Arsenal know our valuation. Lennon has confirmed that as well. So that's not that's not a media spin either. So Arsenal the, the reported valuation is twenty five million pounds. Arsenal know that. And if they're willing to pay it, that's when the club have a decision to make. Until then, it's just you'll just I think we're just gonna to have to deal with the constant churn of headlines and pundits and fans discussing this and that and the other. I think that there could well be a decision to make late in the summer. But to be honest, Arsenal's transfer business this summer looks like it's in a bit of a mess anyway. They're struggling to sign Zaha. They're talking about signing Ryan Fraser. They're talking about how they don't have much money. And so with their deadline looming, you know, the English deadline's at the start of August rather than the end, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays over the next few weeks. If I'm speaking to you right now, I don't know how you feel about this, Hamish. You may come back on this immediately, but... If I'm putting money on whether Tierney stays or goes, I think at this moment in time, it's more likely than he, that he stays. I've actually, funnily enough, not actually weighed that possibility up. Earlier on in the transfer window, I was pretty sure, you know, the minute a team like Arsenal with, you know, their resources, I know they've not got as much money as some of the other top teams in the English league, but they are still a massive club. The minute they come in for a player and, and bid for him and Celtic, Celtic don't, Reject and say he's not for sale. Celtic say, look, this is this is what we want effectively, which is the right way to do it because every Celtic player is available at the right price. The minute that happens, I, I just assume that Arsenal will meet it and he'll be away because they clearly want him. They're interested in him. They've fancied him for a while apparently, and I would just assume that he was away. But as it's gone on and things have died down a little bit, um, I would say I'm probably sixty forty in favour of him. And you know, in my opinion, I think he will sixty forty. He'll stay. However, I wouldn't be totally surprised if Arsenal or Napoli, who I believe there is genuine interest from Napoli, and they're a, yeah. probably in the current modern game as big a club as Arsenal, and they do as well as Arsenal in the European stage. So, for me, if either of those clubs really want him, I think they, I do feel like they will get him. Um, we then kind of have to deal with the fallout. But for me, it's it's pretty simple. If Celtic get the right price for our top players. Um, they move on and then Celtic spend well and I'm not talking the same amount of money but they spend well in getting mm-hmm. a replacement and like we possibly have done with uh, Bolling Goalie and Bombo um, I don't think you can ask any more than the club doing that you know getting a good price for the players and then looking to invest in a replacement I think as Celtic fans we just have to hold yeah. our hands up and, and remember our, our pecking order and I think the same goes for our other top players I mean if someone comes in with a £30 million bid for Edward tomorrow he's going as well so it's something we've just got to come to terms I mean, with would, but would you, yeah, I think I, I think I'm probably 60-40 in terms of Tierney staying Would you consider you know there's there's obviously no one wants to see the back of Tierney. No one wants to see him leave the club. No one wants to see him leave before his time is due, really. But the just the strength of our negotiation position here, where and Tierney's never going to force his way out of the club. I don't think yeah. we have him on a long term contract. This the same can be said at Rogic here. We have him on a long term contract. We're having Cham on a on a long term contract as well. But that's All something players- that Celtic do so well. Yeah. And we have done. Yeah. Apart from Boyata, I mean, Boyata was the first player who has left. I know Armstrong went in a cut price thing, but Boyata was the first player to leave in a free in, I don't know, a decade, probably top player. Yeah. And, you know, the worry with Cham is that you, you can kind of just down tools and be a huffy little prick like he has been. But with Tierney and Rogers, you wouldn't expect that from them, really. They both seem happy at Celtic. 
whatever happens, especially in the case of Tierney, he's got such a long career ahead of him. I know anything can happen in football, but I think Tierney doesn't seem to be rushing out with Celtic. That's not to say he isn't interested in a move, because of course he would be. He would be interested in it. And I don't really buy into the Celtic fan stuff in, in the sense of that should be what defines your career. I think that Tierney's got a long career ahead of him at the elite level, and yeah. if he feels the move's right for him, then that's fair enough. But I think yeah, that... Yeah. And, and he's, not, he's not going to put his entire relationship with Celtic at risk to make that move. Not he's a not, chance. There's no. not a chance he's going to hand yeah. in a transfer request or anything exactly. like that. So I mean, when, when when you consider that that love for the club he has, the fact that we've got him on a long term, we've got him on a long term contract, and we've got this designated value from for me with all these situations with all these star players, and I know you said it's going to be difficult for us to keep hold of our our star players as long as we don't sell too many at the one time. I think all of this is a, basically a win win situation for the club. If if Tierney leaves, we're getting twenty five million pounds for an academy talent. I'm I'm less nervous about receiving money and it just accruing in a bank account right now than I was, you know, maybe last year or the year before because I think Celtic have already shown a willingness this summer that they will invest in the right player if they have to. They did that with Eduard, they've done it with Christopher Julian and they're doing it with um, Bongo and Bombo. So I'm I'm happy with, with the club having money to reinvest in the squad and so if we get that kind of fee for an academy player, which would be outrageous really, I mean that's surely the kind of steps we're wanting to take. Tierney's going to leave. I don't think Tierney's going to be a life for at Celtic, so it's all about selling him when he's at his peak value. And I think right now there's an argument to say he's not quite there. I think a, a good season, a really good season from him, where he's also playing in the Champions League, I think the summer after that is when you would sell him for maybe more than £25 million. And so. That, yeah, that is the argument with Tierney, is that, and like a lot of young players, what have Celtic got to lose from keeping him on another summer because there is an argument that Tierney's going to well, get better and you could get even more money the only spanner I would throw in the works um, and the grenade I would throw in there would be this trouble he's had with his injuries exactly. over the past yeah. year is there a worry that we don't see the same money getting offered next year if he has another year of injury struggles I mean there is yeah there is a concern I mean is this the right time to cash in on him effectively well it depends if the money's there I think if the money's there Obviously, Celtic have their values for all these players. I believe it's fifteen million for Rogic. I mean, if we got offered fifteen million for Rogic, I would take it right now. I love mm. Tom Rogic, but there's just realities to the situation here that sometimes you need to take that emotion out of it. I want Tierney to stay at Celtic for all his life. But he's not gonna. He's not gonna. I don't think. And I think I think he's made that clear in a way that doesn't disrespect Celtic but also just acknowledges the talent that he has. I think Aidan McGeady was the same. I think, you know, to a different level, I don't think Aidan McGeady is as good a player as Tierney is, but he came into the team at a very young age, accomplished what he set out to do at Celtic, became something of an icon, will always be remembered fondly by supporters, most supporters, and left to pursue a career elsewhere. I think that that's really all you can expect. That's the minimum you expect. If a player wants to stay at Celtic all his life, then no one's going to stop him. But if they feel like they've got the talent to pursue football at a higher level than the Scottish Premiership, then I say fair play to them. And as long as you treat the the club in the appropriate manner right up until the point you leave. Yeah. And in the case of Cham, he hasn't. In the case of Tierney, he has to this point. People are coming out and asking him for to end the speculation and all this sort of nonsense. But the, the reality is that if we get £25 million... Celtic will accept it. 
and then he'll have a decision to make and you wouldn't begrudge him making the decision to leave. I think you've, you've hit the nail absolutely on the head in terms of how I feel. I feel the exact same way. I don't think you can grudge the club for taking the money. I don't think you can grudge the player for moving on. And I think all that we as football fans ask is, A, we don't undervalue our players. We get the right amount. And I think £25 million, you know, I've heard people say, you know, if Juan Bissaka's going for 60 and all that, it's not a hypothetical transfer window we live in. It's the real world. And the fact he only plays in Scotland means that, you know, he is going to be undervalued to a certain extent. But I think the fact we'll be getting 25 million if and when he goes, I think you can't argue with that. That's pretty good money. And all we ask is that we spend the money, you know, two, three, four million on a replacement who can come in. And we're not just seen to be, you know, taking the cheap option. I don't think we can argue with that. That's how pretty much every football club in the world, apart from probably Barca, Real Madrid and Man City work. They sell their best players when the time's right and they have players who can come in and or they sign players who can come in and, and replace them. That's what happened to a certain extent with Dembele. We moved him on. Um, I know it was a bit rushed in the end, but he moved on and we had Odson Edward who's pretty much taken up the mantle as our, our main Frenchman now. And that's how it works. And I don't think there can be any arguments about anything. I mean, what what does some of the fans want? Just every player to stay with Celtic for all their career. It doesn't work like that. The good <laughs> thing about having top players is they move on and and they improve. Look at Victor Wanyama, Virgil van Dijk, etc. It happens and it's a it's a good thing because it shows that A, the team have been playing well and the, the players have been playing well to get noticed. And I don't think we can have any arguments. I think Tierney's the, the obvious one this summer. I think if we were to lose him and Rogic, that would be okay as long as we replaced them. I think if we were to lose him, Rogic, McGregor and Edward, you would then be raging. I think the club needs yeah, to of course. probably lose yeah. two main men yeah. at a max in a summer and replace them well. But I mean, if they do you, that and they bring in 30, 40 million, I can't argue with that. I would even argue that selling Tierney and McGregor is the wrong look. You know, just that, that duo in particular, yeah. given that they're both homegrown talents. I think you're looking to maybe sell one of them at the most if you have to. Um, the, the beauty, the beauty about this. Sorry to interrupt. The beauty about this: Rogic, yeah. Tierney, and then Cham barely contributed yeah. last season. Oh yeah, no, that's that's another thing. Like I was thinking you're about this as well. Fifty million probably for the three of them. Yeah, yeah, and if you think about it, like is Tierney going away? If you take last season to account, I know when Tierney's at the top of his game, he's an extremely good talent. But his fitness issues and stuff. If you take him out of the team right now, is it going to fund- fundamentally change the way we play and approach games and finish off teams in the Scottish Premiership? I don't think it really is, no. Mm. And so you're thinking about where other elements of that can be spent, improving the squad. It's, you know, it becomes tempting. You can see why, you know, it's the club's job to take the emotion out of these decisions. So you can see logically why it might make sense for Neil Lennon or. You know, whoever's in charge above him might see the team, might see the makeup of the team, might consider Tierney's contribution over the last 18 months and say that Celtic can't afford to have a 25 million player, you know, injured for half the season. You know, Celtic can't afford a 15 million pound player not starting, um, you know, half our games in a season, i.e., Tom Rogic. They said they can't afford to have Cham, who's not a first choice midfielder, is a fourth choice or something. <laughs> they can't afford to have him sitting on the bench when he's £10 million either. So Just touch on Rogic then, because I know you wanted to look at the way his potential departure could fundamentally change well, the shape thought, of the team. I mean, this is the most 
interesting transfer for me because I think if you take Rogic out of the team, then you're left with a multitude of options with the direction of the way Lennon wants to take the midfield. He's kind of hinted that he wants to be playing more direct into the wings and into the, the striker areas. And I think that he's also hinted that he might on occasion play two strikers. So automatically I'm thinking, you know, where's Rogic fitting in here? Because it doesn't sound like he's going to be involved too much. Um, almost as automatically. I think Lennon's looking for a fluid front four of, you know, Forrest Johnston and, you know, Schved. I think that's that's what he sees as the future of that attacking midfield area that can all kind of interchange and support Edward. And I think that Rogic is quite static in that position, doesn't really drift from there, and it gives us shape and it gives us a real creative outlet through the middle. And Tom Rogic is capable of magic that no one else is really in the squad. But would Forrest there be an interesting option? Would the emergence of Henderson be tempted He's not for... ready yet. I don't think Henderson he's to, not, to take he's over not from Rogic as a main man, but I think he's an option. Um, you could also have Ryan Christie as well. I'd and say so, that's certainly an option. And so suddenly you're thinking, you know, where does Rogic fit in to begin with, even not taking into account that potential offers are on the table? Is Rogic going to be a main man at Celtic next season? I just don't know. I, I really can't can tell you. If I'm placing money on that, I would hesitate saying no. So, but, but then again, as you say, there is that element that he does give you that bit of magic that no one else does. He's um the probably the apart from Edward the biggest big game player we have in terms of he'll produce a moment in a massive game. But there are so many games when, especially last season, when he is frustrating because he does seem a little bit laboured. I mean, I, I like you. I absolutely love Tom Rogic, and I think when he moves on, I'll. I won't shed a tear, but I'll be pretty sad to see him go. But I, I agree. I just feel like this that idea of having you know a front three, if it is going to be of Schwed, Forrest, uh, and Johnson behind Edward, does sound really appealing because those are four players who could probably play in any of those positions. Even Edward drifts out to the wing at times, um, and I quite like the idea of that. I, I think the the Rogic stuff worked under Brendan Rodgers because you know it was that. At times slow kind of passing football when he would patient, knock it into yeah. Rogic and he would turn round and he's the guy who would probe for a gap whereas I think under Neil Lennon we know from his history he wants pace wingers and he wants things done if they can be done in one pass rather than three he wants that and I don't yeah. know if Tom Rogic fits into that yeah that, that, yeah, exactly my point Hamish I think that yeah it's a struggle to see where Rogic fits into this team at this very moment under Lennon and I think that whether there's a clash there between the two of them on that, whether Rogic would be even happy to stay on, you know, considering that, you don't know. There's a big decisions ahead for the player and the club, I think, over the next couple of months with Rogic. But again, that's one that you can assess over the summer well into August. And, uh, you know, the other issue with with Rogic is just his fitness. I know we've touched on it a lot in the podcast, but the fact that he's missed pre-season again is just madness. I mean, it's just... It's, all, it's a situation that's almost untenable because you're thinking throughout the second half of last season that he's working up to his fitness, you know, he's getting back into the team with a full pre-season under his belt, he's going to be raring to go and lo and behold, you know, you hear, hear in the first week back of pre-season before the, the team make the trip to Austria, Tom Rogic is suffering again and has to stay behind. It's, it's not on and it's not his fault necessarily but there's something not quite right there and like I say, we can't afford to have a £15 million player who's yeah. you know, injured more often than that. 
That's spot on, and the same goes for Encham. We just can't afford to to have that. I mean, would you take less for Encham, or would you would you stay firm on your asking price? Cause is it twelve million something like that? The problem with Cham is I think he's been disrespectful now. I think that making comments to French media three days before we kick off our qualifying campaign about how the standard opposition that Celtic's rubbish and that he wished he'd moved to Porto last season, I think is a little bit of order, to be frank with you. Like, I'm all for players, you know, having ambition and wanting to move on to bigger leagues, but I don't think I ever heard Virgil van Dijk complain about that in his time here. I don't yeah. think even even Mr Dembele, I know he kind of was a little bit unprofessional, especially in the last 48 hours, and kind of forcing his move out of the club, but Mr Dembele always just got on with it as well. Other players have done the same. You don't need to you don't need to be given these comments. I think it's it looks bad on the club, it looks bad on the player. And I think I would rather get rid of that element in the dressing room. When you look across the city and Rangers are just desperate for success, just on the point of near collapse, pushing for what they're going to be doing next season. They're all going to be pulling in the same direction. We need to be as well. And having elements like that in the dressing room for me just isn't isn't what I want to see. So yeah, I would take less. If if we if we made a profit on Cham right now, I would be happy. Seven, eight million, something like that. Yeah. That wouldn't be bad. Right. There's been uh, three players coming in as well this summer. We've had Christopher Julian from Toulouse. We've had Luca Connell from Bolton. And we've had the wonderfully named Bolly Bowling Goalie Mbombo from Rapid Vienna. Uh, I'm still not sure what he's going to be known as. Is he going to be one of these guys that's known as Bolly? Or is it going to be Mbombo? Well, is it going to be Bolling Goalie Mbombo? At Rapid Vienna, he seemed to drop the, the second part of his name. It just was just Bolly Bolling Goalie. So <laughs> who knows? I mean, I'm not even sure that's the right way to pronounce it still. So we're going to need to get to grips with that. We'll need to wait until Derek Gray takes one of our matches and then we'll know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, another three positive signings for me. Like really happy with them, all three of them. I think all three of them are interesting in different ways, and I think that the the, the kind of the range and the range and you know fees is interesting too. You know, Julian's like what seven million reported seven yeah. million, and I think that signing a six foot five centre back for seven million pounds is the stuff that my dreams are made of. I think I've been calling for that in this podcast for about three years. And so for it to just all happen in the space of a few days was just magical for me to see a player like that arrive. And how good he is was yet to be determined. It could be famous last words, but yeah. I just don't I don't get the impression he's going to be poor. I just don't get that impression from, from the way he's been bigged up and the fact he's played in you know a, a top four or five league in France and he's played over 100 games in the last three seasons. And all the reports I've heard have been pretty promising you'd be worried if everything was glowing about him so he has had a couple of yeah. things about you know he's apparently on the turn he maybe struggles sometimes but he looks like he's a presence he's at the right age he's not a youngster but he's probably just coming into his peak and he just, he just has that presence for me and the way he was even I know it sounds daft but even the way he was in his unveiling in his press conference a confident guy you just get the impression he's going to be a rock at the back for us and he seems very happy to be here. You know, it's not like a case of he's failed at Toulouse and now he's on his way, um, kind of pumped out the squad. It's kind of like he's chosen to come here and to take kind of his next challenge here in, in Glasgow. And I think that that's really positive for me. And I think that, you know, even if he stays for one or two years, you know, two years, say he's class for two years, you know, then he's, he's only in his late 20s still. And, you know, a, a team will... 
um, you know, pay good money for him then. So it's not even a case of we're just spunking all our money on this guy and it's all going to go down the drain. I mean, yeah. if he stays for five or seven years and we get that value out of him, great. But he's another one who um, you can see it just makes sense in all aspects of it. The business side of it seems great. You know, his profile seems great. The fact that we've, you know, gone out and signed a £7 million player to replace a player who effectively left on a free and, and Dejo Boyata I think is a really positive sign. I think that the club aren't messing about this summer and I think it's quite obvious. I think even, you know, the signing of Luca Connells, by all accounts, he's a good young player too. He's going to be in and about the first team as well, even though he's only 18. And I think that he's, you know, on the verge of making a breakthrough into the Republic Ireland team and by all accounts, played well in the championship in the second half of last season. So he's a positive too. And then we've got backup now for Tierney, which we've not had competent and viable backup for a while now. And we've got suddenly got the speed merchant who's going to look pretty good on the left flank. It's just the kind of signings you want to see us making, and we've been looking at it for years. You know, we've gone to a team... If there's a food chain in football, teams like Rapid Vienna and Toulouse are, are pretty big sides with decent fan bases who play in decent enough leagues especially in Toulouse's case but Celtic are just above them in the pecking order because we can offer Champions League football hopefully um, and you know a chance to win loads of trophies and all that kind of stuff so for me that's the kind of transfers I've been wanting us to make for years I think for too long in recent years we have you know, I know we've had the, the great signings like Virgil van Dijk and Victor Wanyama and people like that, but I think for too long we have often tried to, you know, work miracles from pl- players from clubs who perhaps weren't of, of the standard and we have had a lot of failures. And for me now, it looks as if we are actually prepared now to look at players who do have real potential, but have also, you know, have some sort of quality that they can come in and offer us something right now. No, I totally and agree, yeah. We're, we're signing players from decent teams, but they want to make the move to Celtic. And I'm just, I mean, it all, all depends on, on how they turn out, but I'm just really confident that, that all three, um, especially in terms of right now, uh, the left-back and Julian, I think will be real, real successes for us. And it's just good. I mean, what's that? Over £10 million we've spent on, on those three, so it's a lot mm-hmm. of money. And you get the impression with, with some of the rumours that we've heard as well about a right-back and other players that the club aren't going to you know, skimp this summer. They're, they're going to spend money to get the right quality. And, and again, I think that's pretty much all we can ask for, is that they look at the right players, they you know they scout them to the nth degree and then they spend the money when it's required. We're not asking them to pay over the odds, but I don't think we have paid over the odds for any of our players. I, I think they're they're good signings, but time will tell. I mean, it's all speculation in pre-season, but um, pretty promising stuff. Right, will we touch on Sarah Sarajevo? Sarajevo, that's how I would say it anyway. Oh, you going my why Sarajevo? Yeah, yeah. Sarajevo, we'll go for that. First leg at the Asim Ferhatovic Hassa Stadium, 35,000 that holds on Tuesday night. That's a 6.45 kickoff at Celtic Park time at 7.45 in Bosnia. Second leg, I then believe, is eight days later in Glasgow. That'll be the normal 7.45 kickoff. So, what do we know about Sarajevo then? Well, they are, of course, are the, the champions of Bosnia they won the league last year there's some great photos actually I don't know if you've seen them of 
the I players celebrating with the trophy and they've got flares and all that as well I mean can you imagine mm. that in Scotland players celebrating with the trophy and flares um, that was the fourth time that they've won the, the Premier League of Bos- Bosnia and Herzegovina um, and they won their, their latest triumph by five points taking a, a total of 70 points from their 33 matches in terms of the kind of recent European pedigree they had a, a bit of a mixed run uh, in the Europa League last season um, they beat the Armenian side Banants to start off and they then got a, a very credible result away to Serie A side Atalanta so they got a two-all draw there um, unfortunately that was kind of where the good news ended for them because they lost the return <laughs> leg 8-0 oh. against the Italians on home soil so that's a, a hell of a turnaround there uh, previous season they were knocked out in the opening round of the Europa League by the Moldovan side Zaria Balti um, so this will of course be the first time that Celtic have faced opposition um, from Bosnia and Herzegovina mm-hmm. um, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes in terms of main players not too many of them will be familiar if any with the Celtic support their captain is 12 time Macedonian cap his name's Krista Vilkowski so interesting to see if his name comes up at all um, what were your thoughts first of all when this draw was made because they were probably arguably out of the five teams we could have got possibly the toughest I would, I would say that yeah I think my initial thoughts were that it's tough, but obviously winnable. You know, my opinion on this on this whole qualifying process is that, you know, we're seeds for a reason throughout this process. We're one of the strongest teams in the draw, and so we shouldn't be fearing any of these teams. At the same time, the idea that, that our first match of the entire season after, you know, a period of inactivity is away in Bosnia isn't the idea for me of an easy start to the season. So is it got I, I Bratislava think, written all over it for you? No, not not as extreme as that, but I just don't think it's going to be a cakewalk. I mean, if I'm looking at this match right now, you know, I'm taking a score draw out of this. I mean like I would take that right now off you. Because I just not that I think this team are are any good or they they're a real danger to us. It's just the the occasion of it and just the the kind of surroundings of it, the fact they've got a mental fan base and you know, the fact that they're champions and all this, it just, I don't know, just gives me the heebie-jeebies a wee bit. So I'd happily take a score draw today back to Zeller Park. I don't think we're going to have any problems taking care of them in Glasgow. It's just getting through this initial away leg. I mean, I'm when it comes to European away games, you know, I'm never, ever confident, regardless of the opposition. So um, it's, a, it's a pretty tough ask for me, and we'll just need to see how the team respond and Hopefully there's just like a real desire from the off and we get going. I think that um, the fact that we didn't score a lot, I think, under Lennon is a lot of a problem in, the, in this, you know, towards the end of last season. So I don't think we can, you know, if we're, if we're defeated or it's nil-nil, you know, it's a problem, I think. So I'm just hoping that we get through it unscathed and can bring a good result back to Glasgow. So away goals are the order of the day for you? Yeah, I think if a score draw is ideal, or you know, that's, that'd be fine for me. Yeah, I mean, for me looking at it, Celtic should still be massive favourites. If we're going out to a team who I personally had never heard of prior to drawing them, then I'd be very worried, and we don't yeah. deserve to be in the Champions League at all. So I think it's important to put that out first and foremost. However, saying that, just looking at some of their recent results, and I know they had that drubbing from Atalanta, but the fact they were able to go over to Italy in the first leg, not the second leg, it wasn't as if the you know the 8 now happened and then they went over and got a draw. This was the first leg in Italy and they got a good result. They clearly have some sort of European pedigree. They clearly got a wee bit of money about them, although there has been some 
struggles um, with the players, I think, going on strike and, and all that kind of stuff because they didn't get paid their, their wages a couple of months ago. Um, I believe that's all sorted now. However, it'll be interesting to see if any of that bad feeling lingers on. I think they are a step up from, you know, if we look at the, the previous opening opponents we've had in the Champions League recently, Alish Kurt, Linfield, Lincoln Red Imps, I think they're undoubtedly going to be a, a better I mean, team than those three. I feel like it's not going to be like last season when we beat Alish Kurt 6 0 in aggregate or Linfield the previous year. I feel like this might be a bit more like the Rosenberg tie. I, I think we'll win it, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is a 1-1 or something like that in the first leg and then maybe a little bit sticky in the second leg maybe a a 3-1 or a 2-0 or something like that but I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk I don't think it is going to be either Um, and I think that obviously the squad won't be preparing for it like it is either and you just hope that the performance is there in the night I've just got my worries about Celtic way in Europe everyone understands why that is it's just in the culture and the ethos of supporting Celtic is that when they go away from home to a team you've never heard of, you've got a reason to be concerned. Mm-hmm. So we'll just see. It's, it's difficult because I don't know anything about them. I've never seen them play. Don't know any of their players. I mean, there's there's only so much information you can glean from from the internet. I mean, I have looked up and I looked up others. I looked up everything you've said, looked up their players. But you, until you see a team in action and how they function, then you know it's difficult to tell how it will play out. Hopefully the team have seen some sort of video evidence. I'm sure they have. I'm sure they're well prepared. And it's just about getting the job done on the night. In terms of the team that we will know a bit about, we yeah. see, or we certainly hope, is, is the one that Neil Lennon fields on Tuesday night. We'll just run through the team that we think he'll play. And if we feel we want to add our own mm-hmm. opinions in of who we would play, we can do that as well. The goalkeeper will be Scott Bain. Um, the right back will almost certainly be Anthony Ralston. Would you have any fears about him? And if you <laughs> do, what would you do to counter having to play him? Well, I don't think there's anything we can do because I don't think we you can play a three at the back. I don't think we can viably play a three at the back. Um, you play Ayer at right back? No, I don't think we can do that either. I don't think there's any way around it. I think we've got to play Anthony Ralston. Um, and for me, we talked about a tra- we've been talking about a transfer business this whole episode, but obviously that's the big feeling of the summer so far is the fact that we didn't manage to get a right back in time for this qualifier, and hopefully before harder teams come into the equation and the second, third in the, in the playoff round, then we'd definitely get one in embedded in the team because I do worry about Ralston. I think of his lack of experience as much as anything is a problem. He's only played 15 games for us or something. He's been around the team for years. I think if he was at the standard that we require, given that he's been around for so long, you know, a few years now, I think he would have made more of a breakthrough by now. I think last season was as good a time as any for a right-back to make an impact on the team. And he never got barely got near the team until the very end of the season, and I think that his time alone at Dundee United was hardly set the world on fire either. And so I think going to the Bosnian champions with a player like that is a bit of concern. He has played in Europe for us before, of course, but um, hopefully he just gets through this one, keeps things simple, and uh, we give him the protection that he needs throughout the match because. If they know he's our weakness, then we need to know that too. And it's, so it's all about protecting them. It's not, you know, it's about supporting them while he's there, while while they have the ball on their left flank. It's about making sure he has cover, Ralston has cover and support available to to take him through the game, and then we can take it from there. But yeah. it is a key weakness for me. The positives of it are that he's not an awful footballer. He's not like a you know an 
absolute bomb scale like maybe you would have the fear over Jack Hendry for me personally he gives us all you're going to get everything from him it is just possibly as you know certain elements of his game that he's just not a Champions League level player and I think the fact you're scared about him or, or you know you're fearful about him going into a first round game says everything about it and I have nothing against Anthony Ralston because I, I think he's quite a, a likeable guy from all kind of things that I've heard and he's, he gives his all for the club but it, for me he just really shouldn't be there um, and I would I would have some concerns over him however he, he might he might do alright but certainly for the for the rounds after that if we do get through we need to get right back in but I think the club know that there's been lots of rumours I know Tommy Smith the guy for Huddersfield Town's been mentioned um, Trail's gone cold and a few other right backs we've been, we'd been linked with earlier on in the summer so it, it clearly is an area the club I mean they're not daft they know that we need a right back it's not as if they're going to go the whole season with Ralston as a right back we just hope that they'll be in for the second round you've got what a fortnight until the registration for the the yeah. following round if we get past Sarajevo so um, hopefully that one goes well as well. Um, centre backs, would you be tempted to throw in Julian, or will it be Iron Simunovic? It's not. I mean, obviously I would be tempted, but it's just about how much fitness he has. Um, I think he was doing work the week prior to coming to Celtic with his own personal trainers, but it's I think that he's fitness, only. Is it? Yeah, he's only had a week with us, and so. Depends what Lennon feels like doing. I wouldn't be unhappy with Yozo and an IR. It seems a sensible choice to me. Then a left back, you know, you're picking. Well, well apparently, Bolongoli Bomo, he, he's had a pre season with Rapid Vienna. He says he's played a couple of friendly matches already. So mm. he's, he claims he's ready to go. I know he only joined us, you know, this week or late, you know, late last week, if you listen to us now. So. I think that if he's got the fitness, then I wouldn't be against throwing him in. It depends how he's gelling with his teammates in training. And, you know, it's another call that Lennon has to make. He just needs to get it right because I don't think there's any disaster in playing Hayes at all on the left side. And I know it's not ideal, but there's no, you know, you would expect him to be able to do a job for us through 190 minutes. So I'm happy with what either the the, the judgment call that Lennon makes in it, as long as it's, you know, bears fruit in the night. I think he'll go with a back four of Ralston, Ayer, Simunovic and Hayes. I think he'll he'll play it as safe as play he can safe. and just and almost feel that they, they can just get the job done um and then possibly bed the other players in, maybe for the return leg if we're if we're up in the tire, whatever. Uh what we do, midfield, Scott Brown yeah. and, and McGregor will almost certainly be your two, won't they? Yeah. I would have um Yeah, I would have Brown McGregor. I would have Christine yeah. in the team as well. Would you? Yeah. Like Lennon will? I don't know. I don't know. Depends what he wants to do. I would have those three in the team and then I would have Forrest and Johnston and Eduard. I wouldn't have Shred in the team. No, not, not, not for any reason. Just, you know, just doesn't seem like the right kind of thing for him to be coming into his first match. He just, would, certainly from the, from the first two games I've seen him, he doesn't seem quite up to speed yet. Um, he's had a frustrating first couple of games, so I just wouldn't throw him in. I, I just wouldn't do that to the to the guy who's, who's still pretty young. So, yeah, I, I, I think in many ways, I think it's quite important to go with what we know. And I think if we, as much as there's a temptation to, to throw in a £7 million defender and your new Ukrainian right winger who's, you know, there's so much expectation about, I think I would play the players we know. I think I would play McGregor and Brown, um, and then I'll play Forrest on the right, Johnson on the left. I think you have to play Mikey Johnson the way he's playing. 
uh, and then it, it would be Christie. There's no one else. There's no Rogic. He, he's not going to no. throw Henderson in from the start. And then the big one up, up front is it probably has to be, or, or it probably will be Edward. Would That's you have any be. reservations about? No. I mean, he's not, he's not exactly looked incredibly sharp in his first few games, whereas Griffiths has scored I mean, he's six got, goals. He's got to get the football in his legs. I mean, t- you know, I know I've got to progress in these matches, but it's not, you know. It's not do or die. Edward's a better player than Griffiths, and I think he needs the fitness. And even though he's not completely up to full speed, I think you start Edward every, every, every day of the week. You know, over Griffiths. Griffiths is there as a backup role. Griffiths is there for if Edward's really playing terribly or he's got an injury. I'm happy to have Griffiths around the squad, but it's not an argument between who do you start, Griffiths or Edward. For it's Edward every day of the week. Interesting. I'd, I'd agree. I'd agree. I, th- I think that's, I think that's the team Neil Lennon will go with. I just have a hunch that he'll go with what he knows, and he won't want to overcomplicate things because, you know, we really, we really don't want to to risk disaster by throwing in four or five new guys who probably aren't quite up to speed yet uh, in a, a hostile environment. It's going to be, it's going to be full that stadium. It's going to be thirty five thousand. You know, a vociferous home atmosphere, and I think that's that's what for me is is quite different from. The last couple of years, Alish Kirk last year it was an empty stadium, quite I know it was a warm warm arena um, or, or warm temperature in Armenia, but it was a, a game that we won pretty comfortably. It wasn't a hostile environment. Um, it was the same with Lincoln Redamps. I know we lost that game amazingly, but again it wasn't a hostile place. And Linfield was obviously slightly different for obvious reasons, but again, I don't think it quite compares to, you know, thirty five thousand fans. I get the impression that this is you know, this is a, a round or two later. That we'd normally have got this kind of tough test going away to a warm country, and it's going to be roasting, and it's going to be the fans are going to be right on top of you. It's quite a big stadium, as we know, and it's going to be a tough one for the players, especially in their first competitive game. So I just would go with what we know, and hopefully they can they can get a result. I think, I mean, we're not really going to do predictions, but I, I could see us coming away with a a two one something like that. I think yeah. we win. Right, I think that's us. I think we've done podcast number us. one. Yeah, we have fingered our legs a wee bit, but we'll get to it. You know, there's, you know, it's going to be a long season, so start off slow, peak around October, and then come off the rails between <laughs> October and Christmas, and then come back for a strong end of the season. That's usually how we do it, is it not? That is. Well, certainly the last few years. I'm just amazed. We've This is our fourth season we've gone into, and we're only at podcast number 70. We really need to get to 100 <laughs> we're, by... We're slagging off Tom Rogic. We're worse than him. <laughs> Tom Rogic has got a podcast where he slags us off and Paul's off to Arsenal Fans TV that's there's no (laughs) God hopefully Paul Fisher joins us for our next podcast we're not 100% sure what day we'll be recording next um, just because things are slightly up in the air with the the fixtures we'll we'll come to our own agreement privately as to the best time to put a podcast out the best time to record and we will definitely let you know prior to that on Twitter um, because we quite like to do that from time to time Anyway, we're done. John, you can relax. Yes. Good. Good to be back. Glad for the season ahead. 5-0 Celtic on Tuesday night and another £10 million player in the door. It's all good. It's all positive. We hope you've enjoyed the first Grand Old Podcast episode of the new season. Hopefully the sign of things to come. Take care. We'll speak to you very shortly in about a week or so and enjoy the sunny weather. Hail, hail.
Sir.